and now Ned's best friend will say a few words. Homer? <clears throat> when I think about Ned, I can't help but remember the look on his face when Marge drove over... <laughs> shut up, shut up, shut up! Oh, wait. What I'd like to say is, we're still looking for the real killers. Anyway, in conclusion, a man cannot be forced to testify against his wife. Stop winking! We'll miss you, buddy. Four-finger discount, dude. Welcome to Four-Figure Discount. This week, we're here to review a pretty solid Halloween episode. It's Treehouse of Horror 10, episode BABF01. I am Dando. And I am Guy. Uh, happy Halloween. Uh, well. <laughs> well, it feels like Halloween, doesn't it, at the moment, 2020? <laughs> it's, a, it's one ongoing, rolling Halloween. <laughs> it's just all scary and unusual all the time. This is, um, this is your first Halloween special review. It is indeed. I am, I am. It was a, it was a, a great. Pl- I mean, I like spooky stuff. I like. I've always sort of, um, always dug horror movies uh, ever since I was really little. And uh, yeah, so I think the Treehouse of Horror episodes are among, you know, among my favourites of the Simpsons episodes. I mean, uh, I like the way they, uh, you know, sort of play with conventions of, uh, you know, of of horror, but also of you know fantasy and all that kind of genre stuff. And yeah. There's usually a lot of little uh, Easter eggs and, uh, and nods to the fans in there. And, yeah, you've, you've got a fair bit in, in Treehouse of Horror 10 as well. So, yeah, no, I enjoyed revisiting this one. I really enjoyed this a lot more than I thought I would. It's got a, a real great blend of horror, comedy, and just pop culture references. Now, I know anyone who didn't live through the Y2K scenario, they probably won't get it. And even the writer, Ron Haig, said that he knew that, but he just wanted to capture such a pivotal moment in history. And I, I appreciate that he's willing to at least admit that. And I appreciate that they did it because for anyone who did live through it, I think it's a pretty spot on parody. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this feels like a real time capsule of not just Y2K, but the whole sort of late 90s thing. I mean, just in terms yeah. of like celebrities that are name checked, um, little bits and pieces of, uh, you know, pop culture ephemera, but also just social stuff. I mean, just, you know, having like Bill Clinton and Saddam Hussein in there. And this is all sort of, you know, before. Um, you know, having Saddam Hussein in there before, you know, the September 11 attacks of 2001, where he, when he sort of instantly became the world's boogeyman. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, that was kind of funny as well. I mean, there's yeah, there's a lot of um, something we've noticed in talking about uh, season 11 so far has how how there's been lots of great little sort of tidbits uh, throughout the episodes, and this one's really full of them. It's it's yeah, it was it was great fun to revisit. Now, before we get into the rundown of uh, each segment, we need to mention that this show is brought to you by our $20 patrons, Jordan, Mom and Richie, Christopher Darby, Dave Harrington, Nick Barbaro, and Andrew Zerr. Those five gentlemen, we thank you so much for your support. Also, shout-outs to our new $5 patrons, Richard Allen, Benjamin Halford, John, and Callie Nolan. Thank you so much for your support, guys. Now, the three segments we had for Trials of Horror 10 were, I know what you diddly did, uh, Desperately Zeke and Xena, and Life's a Glitch, Then You Die. Now, with the uh, play on, I know what you did last summer, uh, where it turns out that Flanders is the, the killer, I thought it had a real classic horror vibe. I, I like the design of it all, the score, and even where were Flanders? He looked like an absolute badass. I like that he, Flanders got to be a badass for a change. He did indeed. I mean, well, we know that Ned's, you know, kind of packing underneath the uh, the sensible <laughs> sweater and slacks. I mean, when he, when he strips down, either, either in, the, in the ski suit or, you know, when he's doing streetcar or whatever, it's like, 
wow, Ned's Ned's got some good genes. Ned's got Ned's got God given DNA. You know? mm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but actually seeing him sort of wolf out and uh, yeah, get a bit growly. It, yeah, it's surprisingly effective with the uh, with the Xena uh, episode. I forgot that it was a real play up of like nineteen sixties Batman. Like, it, like it even had oh, the episode of, course, yeah. of like Enter the Collector. I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> And I, yeah, I like that uh, it sort of plays into the whole uh, campiness. Oh, yeah, but also the um, it was an early indicator of like the entitlement of nerdish fans. I mean, mm. I think I think we've spoken in the past about how you know the internet was kind of on the rise around well around this era, and I mean. Uh, Nerd cult, nerds were starting to find one another online. It's like, hey, I, th- <laughs> I, I, I thought I was the only one who liked Xena this much. So, you know, yeah. they, everyone got really emboldened and started, you know, yeah, feeling, feeling a bit, um, yeah, entitled, I guess, hey. uh, you know, sort of to, you know, display their knowledge. And uh, it also got you a, a bit closer to uh, the actual stars themselves. I mean, you, I mean, it was, this is all pre Twitter and stuff like this, but you, if you knew the right people, you could sort of reach out and go, ooh, maybe Lucy Lawless might read this comment I make about her on <laughs> in the chat rooms or whatever, you know. Uh, it was, yeah, it was a really interesting time in that regard. See, I, I'll have to like uh, just delve into your brain about that whole era because I miss that, you know. My earliest memories of going on the internet was talking on like MSN Messenger. I miss the whole forums and the alt.net, that kind of era. So I'm oh, really interested to know what it was like. Like you said, nerds finding each other. That's that's exactly what it was like, I guess. It was, yeah. I mean, look, I I wasn't quite as hardcore as, as that. I mean, uh, when it came to chat rooms and that, I mean, I would visit, uh, yeah, particularly movie and TV sort of uh, related sites like, like Gain It Cool News and things like that. And you know, first you did it just to, uh, oh wow, these guys got the scoops on what's coming up, or and you know, it wasn't the usual sort of stuffy. Uh, analysis of what you'd find in, in in the newspapers or whatever. It's like, wow, it's it's nerds talking to nerds, and then or or this nerdy reviewer is talking directly to me, and then you know, sort of chat rooms and forums would start up, and uh, or, or or comment sections, and you'd get, oh wow, you know, this uh, this dude over in wherever is, uh, you know, we're pretty much exactly on the same page about this, and uh, you know, a, a bunch of interesting relationships were born as a result. Yeah, I also think that uh, with with the with the segment that comic book guy was just born to be a campy nineteen sixties villain. <laughs> oh, absolutely! I mean, who was was it? King Tut in the in the in the Batman series, who was kind of the you know he was slightly overweight and a bit kind of hmm that kind yeah, of yeah yeah King Tut exactly yeah. yeah. I mean, you got the the classics like the Joker and Penguin, but there was also those ones that you don't really see much anymore, like you said, like King Tut and whatnot. And it's just I love Adam West Batman; it's so great. <laughs> Yeah. I, I really should revisit some of them, I reckon, yeah. I mean, because I used to dig it when um, i come home after school and it would be on. Yeah, I mean, it was the only sort of comic book thing that you had uh, at that stage. I mean, oh, it was the most popular one for sure. I mean, there was a, there was actually a Spider-Man TV series and there was the Incredible Hulk TV series. But yeah, Batman was kind of the, the real, the big one. Even though it was made like, um, I mean, because I'm talking about Watching it in the uh, in the seventies and eighties, but you know it was made in the sixties, so it, you yeah, sixty six, I think. Yeah, yeah, it had it still had a bit of mileage on the meter even when even when we were watching it as kids, even when people of my vintage were watching it as kids. I'll lend you my Blu Ray set. I've got the full collection on Blu Ray. Oh my god! Yeah, okay. If we if we're allowed to leave the house at any stage soon, yes, I'll uh, I'll come and grab that off you. Yeah. I'll ma- I'll mail it to you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and the final segment, life's a glitch, then you die. Um, it was super relevant at the time. Like people were very scared, and I just love the fact that it just poked fun at the doomsdays. Like I mean, this obviously aired before it happened, so this uh, this would have been the classic Simpsons predicted it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> very much. Came to fruition. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, it aired on uh, on Halloween, so yeah, like two months before the uh, end of the year, end of the century, end of the millennium, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, they must have been writing it. Even earlier than that, so I mean, yeah, ninety-eight, was, I'd say so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it was it was in the in the atmosphere, in the zeitgeist. That they were, hey, have you heard about this thing called Y two K? That you know, not everyone's computer savvy, but pretty much everyone's heard about. Did you realise that they didn't, you know, allow for the clock sticking over to two thousand? All the computers going to shut down. And I mean, we were reliant on technology in the late nineties, but I mean, nowhere near the degree that we are now. But you know, even back then, it's kind of like. It's kind of suck. It's gonna kind of suck if all the technology you know glitches out on us. Yeah. So um, yeah, people were legitimately concerned about it. I mean, if you're gonna do some sort of attack on society, all you gotta do is just shut down the internet somehow. Just shut that's, down internet grids, and there'll be just chaos. That's all you got. Yeah, you don't need bombs anymore. You just you need viruses. That's all. Yeah, well, exactly. And I, and I'm not talking about you know old C19 out there. I'm talking about you know. Stuxnet or whatever. I mean, look that one yeah. up, kids. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you you can just shut down, you know, pretty much everything with a with a few keystrokes. Oh god, it's scary. Uh, I did think it was a great visual of all the machines going nuts and them just playing it out like the milk cartons and everything as well. But what I loved the most was the um the traffic lights shooting laser beams out. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think they took it and ran with it when they were thinking about oh what would you know what would technology running a muck actually be like? It's just like okay, let's take that. And let's go like three steps further. Hey, my favorite. What was your favorite moment from the episode? For what was your favorite moment from each segment? I should say. I did like Werewolf Ned as we, as we mentioned earlier. I thought it was a really yep. good design, and I liked that very much. Um, and look, there was just a, a great line or a great exchange in "Life's a glitch and then you die," where it's um, "Wonders, Lisa," or "Blunders." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anytime you can do, anytime you have something like that, and then, he, and then he just keeps going with it. it was like implied or implode. I, I hey, make him stop. <laughs> I lo- I just love it when Homer, you know, tries to expand his vocabulary and just you know botches it completely. But probably my my favorite um, my favorite uh, section of the whole show was Lucy Lawless's performance in. Um, in desperately uh, seeking Xena, I mean, um, I was never, I was never a Xena guy. I mean, uh, Hercules and Xena were, you know, both pretty big in the nineties. They weren't huge, but uh, but they were pretty know, they big. Had, they, yeah, they had a pretty sizable cult following. But I never really sort of got into either of them, and I always wondered, oh, is this Lucy Lawless person, you know, someone who, you know, fits the costume very well and you know can fight a bit, but you know, isn't really all that crash hot. And then I think it might actually might have been a performance in this that made me go, oh, no, I think she's actually got a bit of a sense of humour about herself and she actually might be pretty cool. And then um, I saw her in one of my, well, she was on Battlestar Galactica for a while and gave a really good performance in that. Uh, and she was also on one of my favourite shows of the 2010s, um, the series Spartacus, which is kind of like... Um, I mean, if you think Game of Thrones is on steroids, Spartacus is Game of Thrones on steroids on steroids. Because I think mean, it's, 
it's you know insanely violent, insanely sexy. I mean, it's pretty much like a TV version of the movie Three Hundred, but you okay. know, completely sort of uncensored and uninhibited. I mean, it's full of nudity, full of bloodletting, but it's actually really good. I mean, it's it's um, you know, it's it's a very lurid comic booky kind of show. It's a sword and sandal kind of thing about you know Spartacus the slave and him uh, leading an uprising against their the Roman masters and all that. But uh, And Lucy Lawless plays this uh, sort of evil, decadent uh, uh, Roman, not, not, oh, yeah, aristocrat. Um, and she was awfully good at it, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, but I think her performance in this just shows she's got her tongue in her cheek a bit. Really, she's got really good comic timing. Uh, I think she's popped up on a few comedies. I think she was on Parks and Rec for a while. Or she at least popped up on it briefly. But uh, yeah, Lucy Lawless, uh, her performance in, in Desperately Zeking Xena was probably my favourite thing of the whole episode. I did, well, I did love her shutting down Frank. That was pretty great. Wizard did it. <laughs> <laughs> what about Wizard? <laughs> I loved... Um, so the most memorable line from this episode for me, for some reason, my entire life has always been Homer saying, Guess I forgot to put the fog lights in. I don't know why. <laughs> But that's something that's just stuck with me since I was a kid. But I, my favorite moment from that segment was when they're looking at um, everyone in Springfield staring at them. Then it cuts to Homer just pointing at Marge. <laughs> that was great too. Yeah, I really liked it. <laughs> Homer, stop that. Then when Lisa and Bart are being put into the um, is it Lu- Lucite? Lu- Lu- what is oh it? yeah, in Lucite. Yeah, 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 Lucite. Yeah, and uh, Bart, leave me to, to, for Dad. Save yourself. What do you think I'm trying to do? <laughs> <laughs> See, the funny thing, yeah, I mean, going back to what I was saying before about how sort of nerd culture was on the rise, then, I mean, I don't think a lot of people knew about mint condition back then. It's like, no, no, don't take it out of the box or anything like that. I mean, that's when that sort of started to enter the mainstream sort of vocab, I think, about, oh, it's not mint anymore. I love it. There's this great segment, I think it was on Jimmy Kimmel, where they're talking about collectors and how they buy three of everything. One to display, oh. one to store away, and one to play with. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right, yeah. And my final favourite moment from the last segment was when the guy gives Lisa the difficult decision to choose between mother and father, and it's just, mum. <laughs> no, yeah, no hesitation whatsoever. Yeah. I tell you, what, it, was, it was a pretty sort of, it was a bit bleak. Life's a glitch and then you die. I mean, the, um, especially the last part, yeah. Like, they commit suicide and everything. I was like, eh, it's kind of dark. Yeah. <laughs> but they're sort of happy with it. It's like, no, let's get out of this shuttle full of all these terrible people. Um, which, it's a really odd mix of people on the bad shuttle. Yeah. You know, I mean, like I think Tom Arnold, some, Spike Lee. Yeah. I mean, I know Spike Lee's a really good filmmaker. He's pretty outspoken, but, you know, I mean, he would occasionally sort of, I don't think Spike was afraid of getting near a mic. But you know, what was he? What, what what was the consensus on him in 1999? Well, that's the thing. I mean, he he made a bunch of good movies up until that point. I mean, I think he was on a little bit of a downward downward swerve, and then I'm trying to remember what he came out with about that time. But I mean, I think it was mainly that he would just sort of, whenever there was discussion of of African American issues, Spike would be there to sort of pipe up very quickly, or you know. Re- reporters or news sources would sort of go to him and say, what are you going to say about this, Spike? And Spike would often have something quite incendiary to say. So maybe that's the reason. But like my Courtney Love was on there, and I mean, you know, <laughs> everyone... Sure. Yeah, well, Paulie Paul Shore, I can understand. Paulie Shore was never any good. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> I mean, entertaining enough, but... Uh, he was yeah. always the annoying movie in 
Yeah, sorry, the annoying character in movies that I liked when I was a kid. Like, I liked some absolute shit when I was a kid. I liked Encino Man, and I liked it was a biodome that he was in. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, you look at you look at uh, Paulie's sort of body work, it's like, mm, don't know if any of these movies are any good. Encino Man, maybe, but mostly for Brendan Fraser. But, I mean, yeah. Courtney Love, I mean, during the 90s, everyone was like, eh, she's a bit of a train wreck, and maybe she killed Kurt Cobain. No, she didn't. But, um... By the late 90s, she'd sort of tidied up her act a little bit. I mean, she'd started... She's in Man on, the, Man on the Moon. She was in Man on the Moon. She was in People versus Larry Flint. And she was really good in both. I mean, you know, and people really... She, 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 she was genuinely really good in Man on the Moon. I, I don't remember her performance in Larry Flint, but Man on the Moon, she was great. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it just struck me as a bit of an odd combo or a weird combo on the bad shuttle that you've got. I don't know if, if even Tom Arnold was kind of on the on the upswing back then because he was in True Lies and everyone was like, oh yeah, this guy isn't ruining True Lies. We want, we were wondering why he was in it, but he's actually pretty good. Um, but <laughs> then I don't think he did, ever did anything else any good. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but uh, a bit odd a bit, a bit, uh, and a bit bleak. Life's a glitch and then you die. Facts are meaningless. You can use facts to prove anything that's even remotely true. Facts, Max. So it turns out that the original killer was not going to be Flanders. It was going to be Grandpa. The original writer, uh, Danik Carey, he mm-hmm. wrote the first draft and then he left The Simpsons to go wa- work on an Austin Powers animated series that never eventuated. So, bad I, decision there yeah. on his behalf. <laughs> I think the the idea of an Austin Powers animated series is probably a bad decision by itself. <laughs> I mean, once you're on The Simpsons writing staff, mate, you don't leave. It's a job for life. <laughs> yeah. I know at that point... Many people thought The Simpsons might have been finishing soon, season 11. But anyway, uh, so it was going to be Grandpa. But they changed that once uh, the original writer left and they changed it to Flanders. I'm glad they did that. But the original script saw that he was going to chase Homer into the uh, the creepy roller disco. So, But they still left <laughs> the, the disco in. And I, I appreciated that because that's one of my favorite moments. I did love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, Dick Clark has said that he, um, he gets more... He got more response for, about his appearance in The Simpsons than anything else he's ever done. And considering that Dick Clark, I mean, I mean, I don't he's, know how well he was known in Australia. <laughs> oh, very much so. Yeah, I mean, he was kind of uh, Mister New Year's Eve as far as America, our American friends are concerned. I mean, he was always there, you know, canning it down in in Times Square or something along those lines. But uh, yeah, that it, that people know him from The Simpsons more than anything else is kind of hilarious. And Tom Arnold was apparently really great to work with, except he'd bust their chops because he kind of knew they were taking the piss. But he was also, you know. Happy to go along with it. Good on him, yes. Yeah, props to Tom in that regard. Good news, everyone! Yes, everyone's favourite podcast from the year 3000 has returned. It's Tales of Futurama available exclusively for four-finger discount patrons. Starting all the way back at Space Pilot 3000, Mitch and I, we're reviewing every episode of Futurama as we sink back a cool, refreshing can of delicious slurm. So be sure to sign up today or else Bender might tell you to... Bite my shiny metal ass! Tales of Futurama, available now at patreon.com slash four-finger discount. This message proudly brought to you by the Hypnotoad. Next question. You there, eating the paste. Trivia for this week. I'm going to let you kick off, Mr. Sir Guy Davis. What do you got for me? Oh, Mr. Sir Guy Davis, I'm feeling very, uh, very important. Um, <laughs> you're probably going to nail this one because you already mentioned one aspect of it. But, uh, yes, when... Homer and the rest of the family are looking for safe places to hide. Um, There are four of them. 
Mm. Can, you already name one of them. Can you name the other three? Abandoned amusement park was one, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, the river where teens got murdered a hundred years ago today, I think. And oh, nah, the first one's escaping me. What is it? It is a pet cemetery. Pet cemetery, the most obvious of all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my first question is: What cereal was Homer holding in the car? When Marge runs over Flanders. Now, I hope I've got the order of this correctly, but I think it's... Is it Super Sugar Crisp? Well done. Yes, correct. Now, is that an actual cereal? Because that jingle sounded really familiar. Let's have a look. Super Sugar Crisp. I'm pretty sure... I don't think even... Golden Crisp is one, yeah. Yeah, I don't think even American cereal makers... In 1967, the name was changed to Super Sugar Crisp. And in 1985, it was changed again to Super Golden Crisp. And finally, it was changed just to just Golden Crisp. <laughs> it sounds like most boxer names. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just Crisp. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking even American cereal makers couldn't get away with calling something Super Sugar Crisp, but, but clearly they did back in the day. Yeah, 1967, uh, for 20 years or so. Yeah, your next question? Uh, yes, what are the two variations on Matt Groening that we get in the opening credits? They usually go Bat Groening. Is that one? That's, bat Groening? That, that's one of them. Hmm, or not, don't or, know the other one. Or actually, bat groaning. Bat groaning. Uh, yes. Okay, yep. And the no, other I don't know one, the other one. The other one is grat moaning. Grat moan. Grat moaning. Yes, because he's, oh, he's okay, got. Two, yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. He's got two <laughs> mentions. Yeah, it's basically just a switch. But he's got. Um, <laughs> yeah, but he's got uh, two mentions in the opening credits, and they are, they are the two uh, the two uh, spooky names for this spooky episode. What did the church sign? church sign I should say say um, for Flanders funeral so it said Ned Flanders and it described him in three ways oh no I've got this terrible feeling that I looked away from the screen for like two seconds it's just it's it's husband father wacky (laughs) neighbour very appropriate very well done my next question for you Sir Dando the collector offers uh, sweet Xena a candy treat as he's driving her, uh, as he's driving away with the her magnetized to the back of the car. What is that lolly? Oh, I don't even recall that at all. I can't believe I don't know this. What is it? Care for a Rolo, sweet Zina? That's right, a Rolo. Yeah, well done. Apparently, Rolos were very big in the in the Simpsons writing room around that stage. Do you know I've never eaten a Rolo in my life. They're pretty good. I I'm assuming they're still around, but I mean they're they look they're delicious. The, the little chocolate buttons with caramel in the middle. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. They're pretty decadent. It's good stuff. What was Xena battling during the mistake that Frink was discussing? So he says, you were battling this. Oh. I just I just tweaked that he was talking about like a Pegasus or something along those lines. And then... Nah, um, barbarians. I, oh, okay. Yeah. But but she was on a Pegasus, right? Well, first she was on one Pegasus. Then she was another Pegasus. Something along uh, those lines. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which had one of my... yeah. One of my favourite uh, Frank moments. Please to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in Life's a Glitch and Then You Die, uh, mm-hmm. Ned is wearing a particular type of fashion when he's at church. What did he finally break out to wear to church that uh, Reverend Lovejoy actually calls him out on? Oh, it's like 35 years. Uh, Beetle shoes? 
They they are in fact beetle boots. Beetle boots. <laughs> beetle boots. What are beetle boots? I think they're basically just sort of like um, like regular like riding boots, but with maybe a zip on the side. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Fair enough. they look pretty cool. <laughs> My next question is: What was Martin dressed as when oh. they were doing a Halloween candy check? It's like a, it's one of the, the cliche Halloween costumes that most boys dress up as when they're kids. Was he, oh, well, no, he wasn't Superman, was he? No, he was. was, he, he, may, was he, he, he may or may not have been holding a feather sword. No, I'm completely blanking. Sorry, man. Come on, man. <laughs> Captain Feathersword, the friendly pirate from the Wiggles. <laughs> oh, for real? No, well, that's. I mean, I don't. I don't have kids, Dan, so I never was into the Wiggles. Ah, so, no, he, well, he, he wasn't just as Captain Feathersword. I was just giving that as a clue. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, so he was a pirate. He was a pirate. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I should have said Tim Curry in the Muppets, <laughs> or you know Johnny Depp or something along those lines. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, your last question. Oh, okay. Seeing the sex. Sorry, I've got them around. Uh, when the collector kidnaps and vacuum seals uh, Lucy Lawless, aka Zena, uh, she's between two other pop culture quote unquote icons. Uh, who are they? Doctor Who, the fourth mm-hmm. Doctor, and ah, uh, she's from Baywatch. That is correct. Oh, Tamsin someone. Tamsin someone. Don't know her last name. You're very close. It's Yasmin Bleeth. Yasmin, that's it. Sorry. I knew it was something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, well done, sir. You you stumped me today. I don't think I got any of the questions right. Oh, I got Beetle Boots. That's it. Oh, look, I blanked on a few as well. But yeah, it just shows how much there was going on in this episode. Yeah. And my final question is, what was Lisa's job for the rocket ship? Oh, proofreader. Well done, yes. You win this week's <laughs> trivia, sir. <laughs> yeah! Do I get a prize? You do not. Uh, <laughs> that's all right. The prize is just being here. The prize is the acclaim from the, uh, from the listeners. Oh, fantastic. Yes, it may have been the show about nothing, but Seinfeld fans will get everything they need with our new podcast, Talking Seinfeld, available exclusively on Patreon. Starting from the pilot, The Seinfeld Chronicles, We'll be giving each episode the four-finger discount treatment, complete with trivia, fun facts, in-depth reviews, and more. So if you're up with some good old-fashioned yada yada yada, tune in to Talking Seinfeld at patreon.com slash four-finger discount. From this day forward, your names will be... Now it's time for new names. So, quick run-through of the current leaderboard. On In first position, we have Andrew Parker on six. Tie for second, Dave Abbott-Smith and... Garoad Harrowhill, Giroid, Gear, uh, both both tied on three and tied on two. We have three people in third position: Brendan Hedger, Neil Parks, and Jimmy Faruja. What do we got this week? All right, all right. Well, we got our top three, but uh, just outside with an honorary mention is our man Neil Parks, mm-hmm. uh, with her Neditary uh, play okay. on the uh, horror movie Hereditary. Uh, we've we've seen a lot of sort of plays on horror movie titles and things like that in the uh, in the new titles. Uh, good work by all concerned. Neil just falling short this time, but good stuff on his part. Um, one point goes to Taylor Lang mm-hmm. for uh, Night of the Living Ned. Very good, Taylor yeah. Lang. Well done. Liked that one very much. Hold on one sec. Sorry. Uh, going at number two, two points go to Jimmy Jimmy Ferruja. Oh, again. Yeah, yeah, he's racing up the leaderboard with Dead Ned's Redemption. Oh, yeah, play on Red Dead, yep. 
Good play on Red Dead Redemption. And at the top, ding, 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 it's our man, Geroid. Oh, uh, he's back. Yeah, he, now he hit us with a number of titles here. Uh, hang on a sec, I'm going to... He had too many to write down because he gave us multiple variations for each uh, episode within the episode. He's got the Neditor, Diddly Premonition, What Is Ned May Never Die, Upping the Vigilante, Little Comic Shop of Horrors, Zex Men, It's the End of the World as We Do It, Fry Me to the Moon, and The Glitching Hour. Good stuff all round from Giroid. I mean, if we... I don't know if we should give him nine points. No, actually, probably. <laughs> <laughs> sorry to get so, sorry to get your hopes up there, Gear. But um, no, three points to you though, sir, and a, a, a top effort all round. We should make it clear to people that you can write more than one name. It's okay. You don't have to write just one. If you can think of multiple ones, send them in. Absolutely. No, we've seen that in the past, but uh, and certainly in this situation where you've got you know wheels within wheels, yeah, old Gerard. Went uh, above and beyond the call of duty. Well done there, sir. So we now have a tie for first position with Andrew Parker on six and Gear on uh, six oh. as well. He's worked his way up to first position. Coming in at second, Jimmy. Jimmy Ferruja on four. And equal, no, not just solo third now on three points is Dave Abbott-Smith. So Brendan Hedge and Neil Parks have been kicked out of the top three, unfortunately. Sorry, guys. But uh, you will make your way back up there if you start producing some good names and Taylor Langs now hit the leaderboard with one point. He's not in the top three, but he's on the board. Thank you guys for contributing to the new name segment. Remember, listeners, if you want to be a part of that and hopefully win yourself a prize, be a part of the Four Figure Discount Facebook community as well as get a bunch of exclusive podcasts. Just going to be a Four Figure Discount patron. It's patreon.com slash discount. We appreciate each and every one of you who continue to support the show after so many years and especially now with uh, with the uncertainty of the way the world's going, your support is, like I said, so appreciated. Very much so, yes. Don't have enough warm feelings towards you fine, fine people out there. If you're looking for even more Guy and Dando in your ears each week, well, you can find it on Patreon with the Guy and Dando Show airing every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Here you'll find us discussing everything and anything, whether it be our favourite 90s sitcoms or even our favourite pub meals. It's a hell of a good time and it's available right now for just $1 a month at patreon.com slash discount. The Guy and Dando Show. You know you want it. So, Treehouse of Horror 10 originally aired, as you said, Mr. Uh, Mr. Davis, a little bit earlier, on Halloween, October 31st, 1999. I think that adds to the charm of the episodes when you find out they actually aired on Halloween. It is indeed. Did you just call it tree, Treehouse of Quarantine? Uh, Treehouse of Horror 10. <laughs> oh, okay. it honestly got sounded like you said Treehouse of Quarantine. That, that should like, be like the, that should be like next year's Treehouse of Horror. That's called like Treehouse, of, Treehouse of Quarantine. <laughs> it's like that's an amazing Freudian slip on your part if that was actually the case. <laughs> but has to like self isolate in his treehouse. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, off- I do. I do like that it uh, that it actually airs on Halloween. It does give it a nice bit of synergy. Yeah, a nice bit of synchronicity. Yeah. And when we were, Mitch and I used to discuss this all the time. But when we were kids, we used to get the Treehouse of Horror episodes, and I think Channel Ten used to just do it anyway. But they would just play like, you know, three or four of the Trias of Horror episodes in a row for, like, a two-hour bracket on Halloween. Um, even though Halloween wasn't really a thing, it still sort of felt like you could live vicariously through The Simpsons and still celebrate Halloween to an extent. 
I'm trying to remember when Halloween really started to take off here in Australia. I mean, uh, it's really only been the last 10 last, years or so. Even five years, I'd say, yeah. Yeah, you can feel it sort of gathering momentum with each year that passes. I mean, you've got more and more, uh, you know, kids out on the street with their uh, with their costumes on and, you know, more and more people buying sort of, uh, buying bowls of lollies to, to hand out. I mean, it used to be like, nah, this is Australia, we don't do that here. And it's like, eh, well, look, you know, it's a it's a pretty fun occasion so yeah why not get in on on the enjoyment you know what it is it's my parents generation they they, they're into the whole no it's not australian it's american we're not doing it but now my generation who grew up watching so much american television who wanted to be a part of halloween we now have our own kids so that's why (laughs) halloween's now becoming a thing (laughs) live from fabulous centauri city it's the simpsons 10th halloween special now please welcome your hosts if you haven't been probed by these two, you haven't been probed, King and Kodos! Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to our 10th anniversary show. Oh, we've got a great gig. King, what are you doing? You said we were going to warm up the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I have to apologize for my partner. He had to borrow a human brain. Are you able to tell Kang and Kodos apart? I mean, are they... You've watched enough uh, episodes to see any sort of points of difference between the two. Or is it the fact that they look exactly like part of the gag? And is Kang always on the left? I don't know. I'm sure there is a little tidbit that the Simpsons writers or animators know there's a difference, but to me, they look and sound the same. But I'm sure there's yeah. differences. Yeah. I've, I've, I've always, I'm, well, not always been curious about that, but yeah, watching this episode, I was like, hmm, yeah, I wonder if these two actually have something that, uh, you know, distinguishes one from the other. But anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. Let's move on. <laughs> I'm not sure whether you're aware. Did you know that Kay and Kodos appear in every single Treehouse of Horror? Whether it's just a cameo or an episode or a segment? I do know that now. <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't know that before. <laughs> uh, the cash gag is just the Simpsons family sitting there, previous incarnations of their Chess of Horror characters, which I thought was cool, like Homer with the Jack and Box and Bart as the Fly and whatnot. It is cool. You got, and you've got various scary names of the uh, creators and uh, you know prominent behind-the-scenes personnel. Mames Hell Brooks is, is one that I like. Sam Sayonara Simon's a pretty good one. <laughs> Uh, so we kick off with I know what you diddly did Marge is driving the family back they've just escaped some zombies in order to get their hands on some super sugar crisp <laughs> it was vampires I believe Dando oh vampires was okay I've got zombies here I, I took I took a punt I wasn't really paying attention I'm like zombies seems right <laughs> uh, yeah so vampires and what's cool about that is that they didn't even have to animate it they just threw that in there for, for, just for the sake of it just to add to the Halloween-esque vibe absolutely yeah <laughs> <laughs> the fog lights aren't working so she pulls over to check on them, and that's where they hit something, and it turns out that it is Flanders. Please be a dog. I heard that, and I was like, oh, come on, Marge, no one wants to hit a dog. This may be a bit of a gruesome topic. Have you ever hit a dog with your car, or hit an animal with your car? I've hit an animal, and it it stay with me, man. <laughs> I tell you what, a, I, I hit, I've hit a couple of birds by accident, and I hit a rabbit. I'm, I'm, yeah, I've only ever, well, I thought I did it once. I was driving back. Um, Oh, driving down from the coast, driving back to Geelong from down around the coast one night on a really dark road, and I felt like I hit something. 
Did you and put I the fog out, lights in? <laughs> I did not hit the fog lights on. Um, but I was, I got out to, you know, see what it actually was, if I'd actually hit anything. I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything wrong with the car, but I mean, it felt like a thump and like I'd knock something. But I was, you know, looking around in the dark. But yeah, it stuck with me for a while. It's like, oh man, if I hit something and I, you know, I had to go off into the woods by the side of the road to sort of lay down and die, I'd just feel terrible. The old Guy Davis hit and run. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the, yes, the old guy Davis didn't run. Done so often, we got a name for it. Sorry, that's a bit of a bit of a drag topic to sort of introduce to a discussion of a of a of a comedy show. At least the listeners now know that you have a heart. That you would have it, you would have at least felt bad. I know that's that's me sort of setting up an alibi for later. It's like, oh, but he said he said he felt bad about nil, maybe running over a dog. We escaped from those horrible vampires. But it was worth it to get back our super sugar crisp cereal. Can't get enough of that sugar crisp. I'm having a hard time seeing. Homer, did you remember to put the fog lights in? Guess I forgot to put the fog lights in. I better pull over and play it safe. (laughs) (gasps) Please be a dog. (gasps) Oh, no! Ned Flanders! He's dead. He's definitely dead. Oh, my God. We killed Ned Flanders. You mean you killed Ned Flanders? Oh, it was an accident. An accident. We've got to go to the police. Well, they'll never believe a Simpson killed a Flanders by accident. Even I have my doubts. Don't worry. I got a plan. Okay, Ned. First thing we have to do is to make sure that no one knows that you're dead. And if anyone asks, you just say that you are not dead. I found this a little bit creepy that Homer's just willing to just carry around... Flanders dead body. <laughs> I found it creepy that he wouldn't stop poking the corpse when Yeah, yeah, that's true. When they first like, hit it's like, stop poking it. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and then the conversation he has with it, now this is what you're gonna do. Oh <laughs> like, and that yeah, but, um, that bit was legitimately sort of Oh yeah, that gave me a yeah, bit of a skin crawl that bit. Yeah. Um, so it had a lot of weekend at Bernie's vibe going on, a lot of dead body shenanigans with the whole Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Whether it's on the roof or or all the other stuff, I did appreciate that when he's doing the um the little thing on the roof, trying to convince Maud that um he's still alive, that they drew Flanders' skin pale. Oh, oh, I hadn't yeah. noticed that. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. a good point. So as it goes f- further and further, the skin goes pale. The only thing is, when when did Flanders come back to life? Like, I don't I don't get it. So that he got, he got put into the. Cast yeah, him and at a funeral. When did he come back to life and become the vampire, uh, the werewolf again? <laughs> uh, you've got me on that one. We, mm, yeah, smarter people than us have really thought about this, or they didn't think about it at all, and they just wanted to sort of get him back at the end. Please explain. Uh, yeah, please do explain. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, I I don't know exactly how that would have worked out. But because uh, they have a very nice funeral for him and everything, where he's actually in the casket. You're right. Yeah, I, I was I, um surprised that Homer was asked to speak at the funeral. <laughs> Yes, that was uh, not something that I saw coming. Um, yes, I did like that he can't stop himself from confessing, even when he's at the uh, at the funeral of the person that his family killed. To the stop point where he's... <laughs> and I did I did like that there was just kind of quietly done that. You could just sort of hear her in the background say, "Stop winking, stop it." <laughs> then we get um, just before that. So 
the way everyone thinks that Flanders dies a heart attack because Homer just basically dumps a body at the front door. And he says here, that's the end of that chapter. A little throwback to Max Power. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, it's a line from the guy who wrote the... Um... Yeah. Who wrote the episode? He, it's a lot. It's a catchphrase that he would use a lot in his own life. So, and that's the end of that chapter. <laughs> I I often quote uh, Bruce Almighty with, "What's the way the cookie crumbles?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember if I've got any sort of regular catchphrase. I mean, I think some of the uh, listeners actually pointed out that I was saying, having said that quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, and then they sent the um the link to the curb scene. It's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> You know what else is kind of annoying? Have you noticed people are saying, having said that, after everything they say now? Yes. Having yes. said that, yes. let me say this. Right, right. You say what you really want to say. Yeah. And then you negate it. Now, having said that, yeah. so what is that? So you win either way. You no, know, a comedian goes up on stage. You know, you people are a bunch of morons. Having said that, I'm very happy to be here. Right. Yeah. Uh, so Homer is happy that they've gotten away with murder. Is now considering murdering Millhouse. <laughs> And then they arrive home and they see sprawled on the door, I know what you did, and what we can only assume is blood. Whose blood? We don't know. We do not know. But then it's, yeah, just graffiti all over the place, I know what you did, uh, along those lines. Of course, it's a, yeah, of course this whole thing's a riff on uh, the sort of teen slasher movie, I know what you did last summer. Well, it's not even a teen slasher movie, it's more of a sort of a teen mystery. That uh, bit with the graffiti all over the room actually reminded me of another movie that was around this time called The Game. I don't know if you've ever seen that one with Michael Douglas. I have Douglas. not seen it, but I know of it, yeah. Yeah, there's a scene where, you know, he's continually getting fucked with by the people who are sort of running this game on him. And he goes back to his luxurious mansion one night and um, someone set up like a blacklight in his, in his house and when he flicks it on, there's all this weird graffiti all over his house that looks a bit like... Uh, all the uh, I know what you did's in the in the Simpson household. So I don't know if it's a if the game came out in like ninety seven or ninety eight. So maybe it's a shout out to that. If it is, it's a pretty bit of an odd reference. I don't know why I'm going on about it so much. In all honesty, but I am. So there we go. <laughs> it reminded me of when um, Homer goes crazy in the shinning. Oh, of course, yeah, that too. Well, <laughs> that's that's probably more of a <laughs> yeah an appropriate reference to what the hell I'm talking about. No, but we we love your obscure references. We love to learn things. <laughs> we also can't forget to mention the phone call from Mo. I know you're alone. Calling a widow. That's that's Mo's seduction technique. <laughs> just to make, <laughs> make like obscene phone calls or just really sort of <laughs> yeah, creepy phone calls. God, it's Homer. If you really love me, you'll save my life now. No! He's getting closer! <gasps> okay, Marge, you hide in the abandoned amusement park. Lisa, the pet cemetery. Bart, spooky roller disco. And I'll go skinny dipping in that lake where the sexy teens were killed a hundred years ago tonight. So they're trapped in the in the middle of all these uh, various spooky places that decide to split up and go to various ones. But then we get the the arrival of Werewolf Ned. Yeah, well, not quite Werewolf Ned. No, Ned. no, no, just, no. Or, I guess he is but, a werewolf, but he's not werewolf form yet. <laughs> yes, he's just regular Ned, but, well, undead Ned. Undead Ned, yes. And uh, you're wondering how exactly this came about, and then you realise, wait a minute, he's a werewolf. <laughs> and Yes, in a very Ned Flanders kind of way, you're a werewolf? <laughs> yeah. 
I love that he was wearing his usual clothes during his fog walk. <laughs> I just love that he was going on late night fog walks. That's just, <laughs> I reckon that's a really, it's a, just a good funny throwaway line. It's just it's just the way he walks and everything. I just I just thought it was fantastic. Um, yeah, turns out that he was actually going to kill the Simpsons before they killed him by accident. Um, and then the family just leaving Homer for dead is such a great uh, reveal. <laughs> and even even Homer's just kind of you know pretty nonchalant about being ripped apart by a werewolf. What does he say? <laughs> it's bigger than your stomach, eh, Wolfie? <laughs> Next segment we have desperately seeking Xena. So the Halloween candy inspection at the school. Um, and after trying to shove his pillowcase into the machine, Nelson causes the machine to explode and send some radiation out. And here's Lisa and Bart. Well, Lisa's trying to protect Bart. And you think Lisa's been crushed, but no, it's actually given them superpowers. What I liked that it, it didn't waste any time. It just got straight into it. That's true. I mean, he had a few little good little bits before then. I did like that um, when Chief Wickham was, uh, you know, complimenting Ralph on his uh, police costume. And um, I've forgotten the name of the cop, but uh, the one who says, uh, you know, we got feelings too, Chief. He's always hanging shit on him. Yeah, he's got very little respect for his subordinates, old Chief. <laughs> but um, I also love the the thing about the whole urban legend surrounding razor blades in the Halloween candy, which yeah. it's one of those things, I don't know if there have ever been any reported cases of, you know, a kid biting into a Snickers and like, ow, a razor! Um, you know, it's just one of those things that sort of entered the uh, the collective consciousness, like, you better check your candy before you eat it. You know, some crazy out there might have put a razor blade in it or something along that, along those lines. And, you know, The Simpsons takes it and runs with it to do this old gag about uh, about the radiation machine. <laughs> and you get, and you, get uh, you know, Principal Skinner using the old great line about uh, when radiation happens, duck and cover, children. Because, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> apparently in the day, I don't know if you, our listeners know this, this is more dumbass ephemera from your, your pal guy, but... Um, Back in the uh, you know the days of the atomic bomb scares back in the fifties, you know schools and everyone else used to have sort of like in in place of fire drills that had bomb drills, and you know if they were going to drop an atomic bomb or a nuclear bomb, you know near your school, you'd hear duck and cover kids, and you like hide under your desk, and that would save you from a nuclear blast. Because <laughs> <laughs> being under a table is going to help. Pretty much, yeah, but uh, duck and cover was the, was the catchphrase. Sorry, that's a little bit of a sidebar. We now return you to super strength and super stretch powers uh, that uh, that Lisa and Bart now have. Tonight's episode, Enter the Collector. Stretch Dude and Clubber Girl. It's a good theme it's, song, isn't it? It's a, it's, a, it's a great name for the two of them. And um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a catchy little theme tune. A catchy little sort of um, animated introduction as well. Even the title card, Enter the Collector. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, yeah. and they're kicking Saddam Hussein's butt. And, yeah, and also judo flipping Bill Clinton, which I thought was kind of funny. So it kicks off with Lucy Lawless. She's doing the uh, the Q and A. Uh, what's the first line? And like, when they get to real, know the real you, you'll get plenty of girls or something oh, like that. Yeah, so, yeah, one of the nerds is clearly like, "How do I get a girlfriend?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I'm sure that once girls get to know the real you, you'll get plenty of dates. Next question. Yes, over here. In episode BF12, you were battling barbarians while riding a winged Appaloosa. Yet in the very next scene, my dear, you're clearly atop a winged Arabian. Please to explain it. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, whenever you notice something like that, a wizard did it. I see. All right, yes. But in episode AG4... Wizard. Ah, for now. And she's so appealing that she is kidnapped by the Collector using his powerful magnet to, um, yeah, uh, magnetize her, um, her metallic breastplate, which she was about to remove to save herself. But, yeah, <laughs> wiser heads prevail when she realizes that she doesn't want all these nerds checking out her, uh, <laughs> checking out what she looks like upstairs. <laughs> and you know, it's 1999 when they pull out cameras instead of phones. <laughs> I did love that part, actually. It's a, yeah, it's a very nice 1999 touch. So, he's t- so like I said, he's kidnapped Xena. Um, he's driving down the street. I appreciated that Bart and Lisa were just doing yard work. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what do superheroes do in their spare time? They just clean the house. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And you know, Bart sort of you know, uses his super stretchy neck to crane around and see what's going on. But uh, then they're off to save the day. Yeah, Marge yells out, kryptonite's your weakness. Jesus Christ, Marge, just yell out to the whole neighbourhood, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> the Collector has now put Xena in a like a sealed, so she's in near mint condition, in a sealed bag. Bart and Lisa come to the rescue, and oh, this is great. He sh- so he shoots Lisa, and then can't hit Bart, so just throws a gun at him, knocks him out. <laughs> it did. Plus, it's all before that. It's a very, it's a very on-brand move by Bart to stretch his butt right up for um for the collector to kiss. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. Soon, those bratty buttonskis will be encased in lucite for all eternity. While we're waiting, here are some names you may call me on our wedding night: <clears throat> Obi Wan, Iron Man, Mister Mixes Pitlick, and of course, Big Papa Smurf. What do you need me for? You could have your choice of any of the women in these bags. You would think so, but no. There's some great names in there. And, of course, Big Papa Smurf. That was probably my favourite. That that was really good. I also like the collector referred to them as Wretch Dude and Slobber Girl beforehand, which is, yeah, just some really good childish name calling on his part. Yeah, the dialogue from Comic Book Guy as the collector was was really, really solid. (laughs) I think at some stage he he says, oh, it's a ruse so hackneyed it would make Stan Lee blush. I mean, this is if we're talking 99, this is... Prior to sort of the Marvel Comics boom, I mean, the, certainly prior the to the really The average person doesn't know one. who Stanley is. <laughs> Not really, no. I mean, Stanley's kind of a, yeah, a, a god among nerds and, you know, you, but otherwise you'd have to explain who he is to the bulk of people. And I mean, let's see, I think the the X-Men movie doesn't come out for another year. Blade has come out, but it hasn't, you know, it's been well received. But I mean, the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe, yeah, is a good 10 years away. Yeah, 2008 was it, I meant, 2008? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But, I mean, you've got the X-Men movies and maybe the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. What was Fantastic Four? Yeah, I think that was... That's that 2004, mid-2000s. was it? Yeah, mid-2000s as well. But, yeah, let's not think about those because that was quite <laughs> quite, quite dreadful. Yeah, but some yeah, some great uh, some great lines from the collector. Xena then fools him. It, it, you know, in most shows... You can see this actually being the way it ends up that, you know, the, the one that gets kidnapped actually does end up falling in love with the collector. But no, she pulls the rug um, over his eyes and she actually grabs him by the lips and beats the, she just beats the shit out of him. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yes, concludes with saying, what a nerd. Aha! Not even Xena is a match for the limited edition double-edged lightsaber from Star Wars, Episode One: The Phantom Menace. 
You removed it from its original packaging. <gasps> no! It's no longer a collectible. Oh, oh, oh! What a nerd. Lucite hardening must end life in classic Lorne Green pose from Battlestar Galactica. Best death ever. The classic Lorne Green pose from Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> okay, Best okay, death yeah. ever. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually got an action figure of him doing that pose. Oh, for real? <laughs> yeah, it was, they released a Coles like 10 years ago. I don't know why, but they just, the Coles were just selling Simpsons figurines like $2 each. If you, I think if you like spent 20 bucks at the shop, they give you like a Simpsons toy. It was, it was a strange thing, but I, I, I did it. I collected them all. <laughs> Who would not do that? Um, and the uh, Desperately Seeking Xena concludes with. Uh, Lucy Lawless taking the kids under her arms and flying off into the uh, into the sunset, but you know Zena can't fly, but Lucy Lawless can. She sure can. Final segment is life's a glitch, then you die. Yeah, like we said, it was super relevant at the time, and I, I really really enjoyed it. So it kicks off with the nineteen ninety nine New Year's Eve party. We get a piss take of like eighties bands, how they all sound the same, just different names, <laughs> and and also look alike. I mean, I honestly couldn't if you put them in a lineup, I could not tell Poison, Rat, or White Snake apart. <laughs> we laugh but it's true yeah sorry, sorry to our uh, hair metal uh, aficionados out there but yeah they all look alike <laughs> um, the Simpsons are having a party oh, this was great so Rick James gets arrested oh man what do I do now <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is a, a while before sort of Rick James came back into the public eye mainly through Dave Chappelle Dave Chappelle <laughs> yeah yeah but I think yeah 1999 would Oh, that's right. Yeah, Rick James, that guy did Super Freak. And then you don't know him for anything else. I reckon you would have really loved the fact that Homer had a Millennium flag. I did write that down. I love Homer's flags. and I love that he get, gets <laughs> flags episode. to celebra- celebrate the weakest shit. <laughs> you know, it's like, wave your flag. Millennium. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It should have become a thing in every episode. I think every episode so far in season 11, he's been holding something with a word on it. It, I think he might have been. It's. It seems like it does. It does seem like a recurring motif in these in these episodes that we've seen in season eleven so far. Yeah, I think he had the he had a flag in this one. He had the balloon with the zoo last week. He had That's the um, right. the striptease teddy bear. Was it striptease? I think so. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Um, no, no. Showgirls. Showgirls. Sorry. Yeah. Teddy bear. <laughs> anyway, uh, Homer realizes that he or everyone realizes that Homer didn't debug. Uh, the Y2K issue at the power plant, which therefore spreads throughout the world and the entire world just goes to shit and poor Dick Clark melts. Yeah, Dick Clark is revealed as a Dick Clark bot, which it, it's it's pretty funny actually because Dick Clark did never seem to age. I can honestly say that I never really knew who he was. I think I was introduced to him via The Simpsons. I think there were certain celebrities that uh, were very well known in certain countries and you knew about them in other countries just by name, but you didn't really know that much about them. Dick Clark was certainly one of those, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I think it was funny that he just um, he disintegrates into a <laughs> into a Dick Clark sort of Terminator bot. <laughs> just completely just, just disappears. Um, all the machines are now turning on the humans. Like I said, it was a, a great visual, just even things that weren't machines. But apparently in the Simpsons universe, everything has a computer chip in it. <laughs> True, true. And also, I love that it had the soundtrack of like a scary version of the New Year's Eve classic Old Lang Syne. I mean, it's got this really sort of creepy version on the soundtrack that, I don't know, actually was a, was a little bit scary. 
hundred percent. I even think like the score. Um, each score suited what they were going for. So the first one felt like a horror vibe. This one seemed like just you know anarchy, and the, the middle one felt like a campy you know nineteen sixties fucking uh, superhero show. Yeah, well, I think when everything's sort of going to shit in in the Y two K segment, you know they've got the bit. It's either Star Trek or Planet of the Apes, but you know that sort of music that indicates that everything's falling into anarchy. Da, 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 yeah. Something along that. Yeah, they got a little bit of that in there as well. So, uh, yep, some people have have gone to church to uh, you know try and uh, I don't know write themselves with God before everything you know goes to hell. But um, until the commi- anarchy- until the police chief encourages looting. <laughs> <laughs> which is just marvellous <laughs> I love that Wiggum's always the one that encourages crowds of people to do something they shouldn't hey everybody yeah. it's Mel Gibson let's all run over there <laughs> <laughs> but you know and Marge is not happy that uh, that Homer's going to go and join in the looting until he actually gets her a nice present oh yes a yes. Remington, Remington lady shaver that subsequently <laughs> goes evil <laughs> oh no Krusty nah. Ah, my pacemaker! It's stuck on hummingbird! Nectar! Nectar! I need to drink my weight in nectar! Krusty! Hey, a note. You have been selected for Operation Exodus. They're evacuating the Earth! We're saved! (laughs) Thank you, sweet clown. In death, you saved us all. I'm not dead! I can still hear his voice on the wind. It reminded me of when he tried to commit suicide out of the monorail and Leonard Nimoy, Leonard Nimoy goes, No, the world needs laughter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, I'd like, I do like that the, um, Homer does try to... Um, yeah, he, can't, he can't get onto the ship as Homer Simpson, so he poses as the piano genius from the movie Shine. And your name, sir? Shiny McShane. <laughs> uh, anything that you just put Mick at the start, so you say the first name and then put Mick and then repeat it at the end, great. It's pretty good. That's how we got Boaty McBoatface. <laughs> exactly right. Um, we also need to mention that Krusty wasn't dead. <laughs> no, you can hear him. No, I'm not dead. <laughs> oh, it's that rocket, just like the dead clown promised. <laughs> Lisa gets on board. She has to choose one parent. Now, before you enter, you're going to have to make a very difficult choice. You're only allowed to take one parent with you. Mom. Love you lots. Goodbye, Lisa. Remember me as I am. Filled with murderous rage. No hesitation in selecting Marge. (laughs) No, it was great. Um, Bart and Homer are... Well, I guess they're sort of... uh, They've accepted accepted their fate, and then they see another rocket. They think, oh, there's no one guarding that. We better sneak onto there. Just one thing. I've forgotten... If, if this is actually the case, do they? Do Lisa and Marge take Maggie with them? They do take Maggie. I guess babies don't count. Good, good. Yeah, I guess I was wondering about yeah, where's where's Maggie in all this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Earth uh, is just exploding in the distance. If you look through the the window of Barton Homer's rocket, and they mm-hmm. soon realise that these celebs aren't great, and they're getting sent to die on the hottest place on Earth, the sun. <laughs> Yes, but even before that, though, I mean, a fate worse than death, you've got a Rosie O'Donnell-led sing-along. So, um, <laughs> Clang, clang, yes. clang with the trolley. trolley. Yeah, so rather than endure that for five minutes, they just shoot themselves into space where the, the pressure of uh, space basically inflates them to the point of explosion. Don't worry, Dad. We'll be dead in five minutes. Not fast enough. <laughs> 
I watched this with headphones on, and that sound of their heads exploding was not pleasant. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, that would have been dreadful. I, I did not listen to it with headphones on, and I don't think I ever will now. <laughs> was Tom, were Tom Arnold and Rosie O'Donnell a couple at this point? No, it, the, the couple was Tom and Roseanne. Roseanne, was it? Okay. Yes, okay. yeah. And whether they were a couple at this stage, I don't know. I think they were a couple in like the late 80s, maybe early 90s, and then... Tom Arnold sort of rode the Roseanne gravy train for a little while until he got his foot in the showbiz door and I think he had his own sitcom for a little while and he popped up in True Lies and a few other movies and things like that and everyone's kind of like, why are we giving this guy the time of day? I mean, there are sort of, we've got a perfectly good John Goodman out there, why are we giving Tom Arnold work? <laughs> um, but having said that, I mean, Tom Arnold, ha- having said that, yeah, Tom Arnold... Um, I don't know, was kind of proving himself as not a bad character actor or comic relief in certain things. I mean, he's, he found his niche eventually. and He, he, like, he is certainly no Fred Flintstone, though. He, he is absolutely not a Fred Flintstone. I mean, I think we, do, <laughs> we, I think we certainly dodged a bullet. Not, I'm pretty sure that when they were making the Flintstones movie, some suit somewhere said, hey, how about that Tom Odell guy? He looks like a caveman. And then, yeah, luckily we didn't get that. Um, the, the Flintstones is a movie I have not revisited for I reckon twenty years, and I know you probably absolutely hate it. But can we I, revisit it for a review? Yeah, let's let's why not? I mean, I I don't really recall that much about it. I remember seeing the sequel, Viva Rock Vegas, at some stage, yes. yeah. and thinking this isn't terrible. No, I it's mean, not, uh, is it? <laughs> no, I mean, it had the guy from the Full Monty as um, the the sort of the the, the heavy set guy, the chunky guy. And the, the villain was the Greg from Dahmer and Greg. He, he was, yeah. And I mean, was, was, um, so, someone Montgomery, I think his name is. Yeah, or Thomas Gibson, I think. Or, uh, okay. I think he completely yeah. different. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a completely different name. But I think Stephen Baldwin, like one of the Baldwin brothers, was Barney Rubble. He was. He was. Who was oh, it was Rick Moranis in the first one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But Stephen Baldwin's actually really well cast. As he as looks, Barney he, it's kind of like the guy that played Shaggy in Scooby Doo. It's like he was he, made for that role. Yes, yeah, and I mean, these are normally guys that I'm not huge fans of, but occasionally they just, they get the perfect role and it really suits them, and I don't know, what's her name, Jane Krakowski from 30 Rock was, was Betty Rubble, and I'm like, oh, yeah, kind of fun. At that point, she was Ally McBeal fame. That's correct, yeah, yeah, so yeah, we might have to do a bit of a Flintstones double feature review. Well, that sounds good to me. Okay, <laughs> okay well, it's on the list. <laughs> Uh, listeners, if you're at all keen to hear, if you're all keen to hear something like that, let us know in the in the comment section or on the Facebook page. Yeah, and movie reviews be coming to you guys on Patreon. But yeah, all in all, that Treehouse of Horror ten, I, I this again, season eleven just continues to surprise me. I was wouldn't say I wasn't looking forward to doing it, but I sort of thought I sort of accepted. Okay, the episodes aren't going to be as good. I've I've been loving every episode so far. This was this was good stuff. I was looking at the clo- at the uh, end credits. It's got a lot of uh, scary Simpsons names. I'll admit, I there were just too many coming thick and fast to write down. But I did stick around to the very end to see if they were going to do anything with the Gracie. There was no shush over the Gracie this time. There was a scream. So oh, so they did do something. They did indeed. You you love your little Gracie things at the end, don't you? And I appreciate I like- that you take the time to wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's another thirty seconds. I don't think it's going to kill me. What did we learn, Palmer? What did you learn from the episode, Mr. Davis? 
Um, always check your candy. <laughs> that is true. I learned that death by hummingbird sounds like a hilariously enjoyable way to go. <laughs> I'm glad we. Uh, I'm glad we took. We're able to take something away from this episode. Jamal, Jamal is here. Ooh. All right, it's the mailbag. So we're going to kick off with the mailbag questions for Guy. So people have been sending in questions. Wanted wanted to get to know Guy and what his uh, take is on The Simpsons. So I've got a couple of questions for you here, sir. Oh, okay. This one comes from Josh Halliwell. He says, where would you love to visit in Springfield if you lived in The Simpsons universe? Oh, man. I'll tell you what, the comic book shop. Is it the Android's Mm -hmm. Dungeon? The Android's Dungeon, yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, it looks like it's actually pretty well stocked. I mean, for a small town comic book shop, it looks like it's got some good stuff. So I would, I could happily spend an afternoon there browsing away. And they have a they have a jazz and blues club, don't they? I mean, or is that somewhere else where you know Bleeding Gums Murphy used to play? And no, they had the jazz hole. That's from Moaning Lisa, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. So I imagine I'd spend I'd spend the day there, and then um, I'd probably grab a crusty burger. And then I would, you know, while away the evening at uh, at the jazz hole. I think I want to stop by the um, the arcade. It looks like they got a, a, an oh. awesome range of arcade machines at that at that place. It does look like a cool arcade. You're right. I want to play Kevin Costner in Waterworld. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next question from Henrik Winterland. He says, "Which character do you most relate to, guy?" Oh, hmm. well. When I was married, my, my wife used to call me Homer affectionately <laughs> because, <laughs> because I was a yeah, slightly paunchy, bald dude uh, who loved TV and was motivated by his appetites. So, look, it's a, it's a fairly uh, obvious answer, but yes, I do relate very strongly to Homer, <laughs> who, and, who's, who's good at heart, but you know, easily led astray. And likes dogs with fluffy tails. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Final question from Ashley Anderson. She got a couple actually. She says, "What's your top three? So this is a big one. So, what's your top three favorite episodes? When do you think your favorite Simpsons episodes? What's the first thing that comes to your mind?" I don't know if I could go a top three. I mean, that there are way too many to choose from. But I do my my go to uh, for my very favorite is uh, Last Temptation of Homer. Really? Okay. Oh uh, yeah, I've always loved that one for some reason. I mean, I just, I always thought it was really really sweet. Uh, you know, the way it sort of ends up with... Uh, I mean, it shows that Homer's susceptible to temptation and, you know, to have, sort of having his head turned, like like many a man. Uh, he is but, human. Yes, but his heart is in the right place. And, you know, he's, he, it ends in a, in a nice way that he truly loves Marge and they're reunited at the end. But, I mean, who wouldn't be sort of led astray by Mindy, who, you know, is someone who really likes to eat, uh, but also looks and sounds like Michelle Pfeiffer. I mean... Um, you know, it's got the joke about the giant hand. Um, <laughs> it's got the line "sweating like Roger Ebert" that I've used many a time in my own life. Um, it's got it's got the bellboy who does the hubba hubba. Barney in a bikini. It's got Barney in a bikini. It's got think unsexy thoughts. Think unsexy thoughts. I mean, I think uh, most of us have used that line at least once since this episode came out. And it's got the whole thing when they're at the uh, energy convention and um, everyone's yelling at nuclear energy or whatever. And it's, uh, uh, thanks for ruining the planet, bastards. Get and they bad. Get, they get Mulvin with his, uh, his like, renewable energy or something. Oh, he gets a karate chopping, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, that, that is a solid episode. 
It's got Michelle Pfeiffer saying, get bent. And then it's got Homer saying, go to hell. And throwing, sorry, like, what does he throw? A stapler at someone and brains them and knocks them out. Something like that. And then he's got a really satisfied little smile on his face after that. There are just, (laughs) there's so much stuff in Last Temptation of Homer. There's probably stuff that I'm missing. I mean, like the whole him singing Mindy to the tune of Barry Manilow's Mandy. It's yep. like, I could, I could tell you're infatuated by, you know, a woman named Mindy or a man named Andy. She <laughs> <laughs> yeah. also says, Ashley also says, uh, please tell me that you know who Tress McNeil is. Are you talking about, uh, you know, voice actress Ter- Tress McNeil, who, uh, you know, she she voiced Daisy Duck. Well, you know, she was the voice of Dot in, voice of Dot in Animaniacs. From what I understand, she's going to re-voice Dot. In the reboot yes. of Animaniacs. I mean, oh, well, it's, it's nice to have a have a doing a show with someone who knows Tress McNeil is. <laughs> who, who does not know, you know, Teresa Clare, a.k.a. Tress McNeil? Come on, man. <laughs> it's the Patreon mailbag time. Thank you, Mitch, for the Patreon mailbag intro. Okay, I've got a few questions here for you, Mr. Davis. Neil Parks kicks off saying, if you could kill one person in your town with no consequences, who would it be? Neil, for goodness sakes, what a, that's a very leading question, a very gruesome question. Plus, you know, I live in a, I live in a small town, man. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, this is probably admissible as evidence if I named people. So the answer is no one, absolutely not. My, my, my philosophy <laughs> is live and let live. Um, I don't think I, I don't think I know anyone that I feel that sort of venomously towards that I would actually want to kill them. Um, if, you, if you could have somebody banished from town. And they didn't know it was you. Oh, okay. Um, I'm trying to think if there's. No, I'm a fairly easygoing guy. I mean, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't dislike anybody and want to put anybody into a situation that they don't want to be in. That's the thing. Geelong is small enough that you know, it's sort of six degrees of separation. A lot of people know a lot of people, but it's also big enough that you can avoid anyone who sort of rubs you the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. it's it's the perfect town. Uh, Jordan Lewis asks, what is one collectible you'd love to have? Well, unlike our pal Dando, I mean, I'm not a huge collectible guy. I mean, if you've, you've seen pictures of Dando's place, you've seen his lovely Iron Giant statue and his, uh, and his various collectibles. I'm not a hugely sort of collectible guy. I mean, when I was working at Pop Culture, I nabbed a few sort of um, Funko Pop vinyls here and there. And admittedly, they did bring out the Mad Men collection and also the Purge collection that I was actually kind of keen on. So, um, I don't know, probably a Don Draper uh, Funko Pop vinyl. I know that's not a high-end collectible, but uh, I'd like to have a look a, look over at uh, Don with a cigarette in his hand and think, hmm, yeah. If I, if, if I had a big me- house, I'd want the, the original shark robot from Jaws. <laughs> Even though it doesn't work. <laughs> Just put it, in your, put it in your pool or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like the the T Rex animatronic from Jurassic Park, or even like a like an ET suit from the original film. Oh, good lord! See, yeah, we have to ask Dando this question because I'm just like, eh, no, give me a pop vinyl, <laughs> and Dan, and Dando wants the really high end stuff. So, um, Andrew Kelly says, if you sealed three celebrities in bags and keep them in your basement forever, who do you think would take it the best, and who would be the least forgiving? On the flip side, okay, no, I. I was thinking about who would probably, um, who would be cool with it. And I thought about this a lot. You know who I think would be okay if you sealed them in a bag and then eventually sort of let them out? Paul Rudd. I reckon Paul yep. Rudd would, would be okay with it. 
He'd be like, dude, don't talk to me ever again, but we're cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm Paul Rudd. I get it. People like me. They like to have me around. I can see why you did this. I'm not happy about it, but yeah, let's let bygones be bygones. You know who <laughs> I think would really dislike it? Either Bruce Willis, current day Bruce Willis. Oh, Bruce Willis, of course. Br- Bruce would hate it. You know who would re- <laughs> he would he would literally hate it, or yeah, who would really hate it? Probably Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Ooh, Lee Jones. Yes. Tommy Lee Jones will be giving you that look. You know the meme that goes around of Tommy Lee Jones from No Country and Old Men, where he's just giving you the death stare. Mm-hmm. He'd be he'd be looking at you like that the whole time. Say, you better never let me out of this bag. So yeah, that's kind of like have you, have you seen Uncut, you've seen Uncut Gems? You know when yeah. Adam Sandler's character's got those guys stored in a little area. Oh he's like, yeah, he's like I have to let them out at some point, but I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> so you're pulling the Adam Sandler face of sort of looking at him, going like, "It's all cool, right? It's all going to be good when this is all over." <laughs> and that guy's just giving you the giving you the death glare. <laughs> so yeah, I think Paul Rudd would be cool. Tommy Lee Jones or Bruce Willis, less so. I think Mike Tyson would also not be cool with it. I don't know. I read this article yesterday about about Mike Tyson, how he's got this whole new sort of merchandise line. He's like a weed dealer now, but like a really <laughs> high end med, uh, medical marijuana and sort of marijuana offshoots dealer. And apparently, he's like know, seen the light, and he's you know he's a, a lot more calmer now. But like well, nineteen ninety nine, Mike Tyson. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Once you let me out of here, I'm, I'm going to kill you so hard, I'll kill your whole family. So uh, <laughs> that was a really bad uh, Mike Tyson thing, but oh, it's a bit of a Dredrick Chatham. But um, yeah, apparently, Mike Tyson now is, you know, not just a weed dealer, but also you know a regular user of either dope or CBD or stuff along those lines, and it's really chilled him the f out. So you know, that's that. I find that kind of interesting. <laughs> I read a story. I read a story where he was saying that apparently some woman snuck onto his house once onto his yard and one of his tigers like ate her hand off or something and what? he just and he gave her a quarter of a million dollars because he felt bad he's like oh she you know she's just she's just a fan and she, you know she just she just wanted to get a bit closer and my, my tiger attacked her and i felt bad so i gave her a quarter of a million dollars <laughs> and and the funny thing is that woman is actually carol baskin from tiger king no <laughs> no it's not but wouldn't it be hilarious if it was there's a, a apparently there's a story that was left out of the show that the his alligators get burnt alive or something, and they were the alligators that belonged to Michael Jackson. Oh, for real? They were Michael oh. Jackson's alligators, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I, that, yeah, that's, that's about crazy enough to make sense in the world of Tiger King. Yep. Um, and final question from Timothy Bellison. He says, what did you guys do on Y2K? As I recall, Australia was on the front line of that. I've already mentioned how... Um, my uncle turned the light off in the house as it happened and everyone freaked the fuck out. Um, <laughs> but yourself, what happened? Um, I think on New Year's Eve 1999, heading into 2000, I had not long moved in uh, to a house in Geelong with a woman I would eventually marry. We were sort of close to the waterfront where they always had lovely fireworks and all that kind of stuff. And we thought, hmm, if the world sort of does end, you know, once the clock ticks over... We should probably be outside, but it would also be nice to see some fireworks before it all goes to hell. So, you know, we had a lovely dinner at home. We walked down to the waterfront, lay down on the grass. I think we may have smoked an illegal cigarette. Watched the fireworks, counted down, counted down, counted down. And we were thinking, you know, I mean, we were sensible people. We're thinking, 
look, I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen. But what if it did? Yeah, so there's that. There's that. that <laughs> but that, if it did, yeah, there's that one scarric of doubt in the back of your mind that, ooh, the whole world could shut down right about now. Wonder what would happen. Were you nervous when they were doing the countdown? I think I was more excited, you know, by the op- by the chance. Oh, what if everything goes to hell? You know, I mean, I'm pretty sure there'll be backup plans on backup plans on backup plans. But you know, oh, what if it happened? Uh, and then, of course, it didn't. You know, all the lights stayed on. Everything remained as it was. It was just, you know, it wasn't 1999 anymore. It was 2000. So I think we went home and um, just kicked back and had a had a glass of champagne. And I think they were playing a bunch of cool music videos on Rage. So we just, you know, stayed up for a, an hour or so watching cool music videos and uh, drinking champagne. And then we went to bed. That was it. It was a pretty Sounds boring like a 2000. Night. It was a good night. I mean, you know, not exactly... Party like it's 1999 Prince style, but uh, we had fun with it. I thought you were going to have some sort of story where you had like some crazy conspiracy theorist just running down the street naked, freaking out. I could make one up for you if you like. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, I forgot, I forgot about the crazy conspiracy theorist who ran around without their clothes on. Boy, <laughs> boy was that something wacky. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for listening to our review of Simpsons Treehouse of Horror 10. Uh, next week, Guy, I'm just going to look it up now. Let's see what we are going to be reviewing. Let's see if it's another solid episode. I think it might be an episode that isn't as acclaimed. It is EI uh, EI Annoyed Grunt. So I won't tell you what happens to that one, but what I will say is, is the Tamako one. Have you seen the Tamako one? I have seen the Tamako one, I am, but I have not seen it in a while, so I'm going to do a bit of a revisit, and I am hopefully going to be pleasantly uh, surprised by what I encounter. I remember this one being pretty out there but still enjoying it so i'm looking forward to reviewing it next week don't forget guys if you want to support the show um if you want to get access to a bunch of exclusive podcasts like the towers of futurama talking seinfeld as well as our new show the guy and dando show where we air every monday wednesday friday just talking about a particular topic it can be about anything pizza toppings our favorite audio commentaries anything at all we just post in the group and they give us some stuff to to uh, to banter about and we go from there. So every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Patreon is the Guy and Dando Show, Talking Seinfeld, Taz, Futurama, plenty of exclusive Simpsons bonus podcasts, and much, much more. But for now, like I said, that is Treehouse of Horror 10. Next week, we've got EII Annoy Grunt, the Tomaco episode. Guy, any final words for the listeners? Uh, I'm just going to kill a few hours before I go on one of my late-night fog walks. <laughs>